Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lock Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Out of Day with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello, hello, hello. Happy day. Oh, happy day. <laughs> you guys just don't know I'm excited. Um, had a lot of issues, man. A lot of issues the last several weeks and haven't been able to uh, do the show as I had hoped. Even trying to record the show was easy, was was difficult and challenging. So we're we're back. And, uh, hopefully, you hear that? It's craziness. We we've been trying to invest in new stuff and equipment and all of that. But anyway, I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with season. A wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and to help you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Several ways you can do so. You can um, follow us on all our social media. That is Facebook. We are the Zero Network on Facebook. Go there, like that page, listen to all the archives. Can also comment on the shows that you like on Twitter. We are at Zero Radio on Twitter. My personal handle is at Lorenzo T. Deal. Follow us there. And, uh, you'll share stuff with us, and we'll share stuff with you. Appreciate it. And also, you can hit us up on email at uh, PastorLorenzoDeal at gmail.com. If you have done so, we want to invite you to become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal 
and become a patron to support us. Help us get the new equipment so we won't have to be doing all this stuff that we're doing, hoping that one day we're able to record, one day we can go live, all that stuff. <laughs> we appreciate you. Also, just wanted to let you know that this broadcast is being sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is a place where you can go learn all the greatest, latest innovations on just about every topic or everything that you want. I personally have been using Skillshare for a little over two years now, and it's really helped. Matter of fact, it's helped me uh, understand video editing, helped me understand even podcasting. Um, and I have even been watching, uh, uh, learning things about writing, both fiction and nonfiction, personal essays, all that stuff. And I have been a great, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Skillshare. So I want to invite you to join me in learning more by going to Spiel, uh, Skillshare. And if you look on the page, uh, the show page, you'll see a link there. Click that link and you'll get 40% up annual uh, membership right now. Thank you so much. you helping me and you'll be helping yourself also. Well, we've made it to March and uh, oh yeah, if you didn't know, the other reasons I couldn't record a couple of weeks ago is we had a winter storm here in Mississippi and it just knocked out power uh, in the city of Jackson, knocked out water, so I uh, powerless and waterless for <laughs> a little bit, and it was somewhat uncomfortable, and you know couldn't really do anything. But I'm just glad that uh, the Lord blessed us to make it through, and we are still in recovery. There's still places here in the city of Jackson that have no water, or like me, have limited water pressure so you can't really do anything and the water still is not drinkable um but we are getting doing and um i'm glad we were not in like texas was and they're still playing the, the blame game as to who was responsible and i'm gonna be honest with you let the politicians play the blame game because that's all they're good at right now that, that's pretty much all that they are good at of governing or doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I'm saying that because that's what it comes across. That's how it's coming across. They're too busy um, uh, playing politics, kicking the ball further down, moving the goalposts further so that they can, you know, their party can take credit for whatever. Um, and it's shameful. It really is shameful, but we do see that um, how vulnerable our entire grid is, you know, and I don't know if green energy is the solution or not. I do know that we need to be better stewards of the resources that we do have, and we definitely, definitely uh, need to be more concerned about how we are using those resources and who we put in charge of those resources and be aware of uh, who is supplying those resources. Yeah, man, it's, it's crazy, but um, I think, I think we have people who are very much capable of leading us in a good direction in this area. If they could just put aside the political banter, 
Uh, I don't know what that would look like, but I do know it needs to be done. Because as far as I'm concerned, when people's lives are at stake, the last thing you need to be doing is playing with somebody uh, when people's lives are at stake. You need The last thing you need to be doing is playing politics and, and all that stuff, really. Uh, what else? Some pre-em- preliminary stuff before I get into the topic that I really want to talk about. I'm going to try to go through this quick. It might not be an hour-long broadcast today, may, maybe only 30 minutes. Um, Vernon Jordan has passed, the legend himself, uh, civil rights advocate, lawyer, presidential advisor, uh, and D.C. power broker. And and some folk would say he was a good man. <laughs> Eighty-five years old, he is gone, and and not as far as I know, I don't know the cause of his death. But he will be greatly missed, and his legacy and influence is still very much, um, very much being felt today. You know, he was a friend and advisor to President Clinton. President Obama, and so as a result of that, you know, we got a lot of, we saw a lot of his hands. He's also president of Urban League back in the day, I mean, that led to a lot of his influence that um, helped quite a bit. So he will be missed. Um, one other thing um, I wanted to touch on, and I, I, I was trying to, I wanted to touch on this several weeks ago and I'm I know I'm behind behind on this with the passing of Bobby Zacharias international evangelist and um Christian apologist. With his passing, there's a lot of things that have come out about his personal moral life and it's it's saddening. You know, he did a wonderful job masking uh all the all the things he was doing. Um, and I think, you know, the first thing that kind of began to shatter his glass house was when a, a story came out that he didn't really have credentials that he had, had said he had. And it really damaged him. I mean, because this guy, this guy as far as being an intellectual, a uh, a thinker and a Christian apologist, uh, I mean, he was he was the man. Many of his books were used in seminaries or Bible colleges uh, for apologetics. You're talking about a man who grew up in India and became converted. And I, I believe he may have been an atheist. I'm not. I can't recall exactly his story. But anyway, he he's converted, and after this conversion experience, wholeheartedly gives his life to the work of Christ. And you have to commend him for that. And all the things that have been revealed since his death only shows us the uh, the flawed part of our humanity is always a part of our ministry. Can't say it enough. The flawed part of our humanity is always a part of our ministry. 
which is why I, you know, I used to be one of those condemning preachers, even though I was doing some of the same dirt. I was one of those, not, yeah, I guess you can say public shaming preachers. Because at one point, I thought I was as holy as you can get, you know, and then when I realized that what, what I was not doing, <laughs> what I was not doing was not as bad as what I was doing, you know, the pride, the 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 idea that, you know, you're so sanctified, you can't fall, you know, and once I experienced my immoral fall, my, my moral falling, man, that, that brought a whole lot of guilt, shame, all kinds of emotions that I was able to mask a, a lot of behaviors that I was able to masquerade also while preaching. And you'd be surprised at the number of preachers who are in the same predicament, not the same, but very similar as Robert Zacharias. Zacharias had the means to manipulate individuals. And I know a lot of, there are other preachers like him who do so. And uh, So we, we've got to do a better job as clergy, as preachers, to be as transparent as we can. And it's shameful. It's embarrassing. Even me talking about it now and recognizing the fact that I'm not much different from him. I may not do what he did, um, but I'm not any different. And I am subject, as the writer, uh, Paul writes, you know, when we go to look after a brother who may be in crisis or in all of that, we must also consider ourselves lest we fall into the same temptation. I'm paraphrasing that, but the idea is the same. We are just as much subject to moral failings as the, as the those who have already publicly failed morally. And we preachers have gotten very good at masking, especially if you're very much of a public, with the exception of a few. There are some who can't mask, no matter how much they try, that dirt is going to come up. It's always going to come up. And, and it's not a bad thing, but you know we can go through a list of some some preachers who stay in the public's way, and what they some people say you know any publicity is good publicity, and there are some preachers who have mastered the art of the public and the publicity that comes with it anyway so um. There are a lot of persons who have addressed this, and I wanted to really deal, delve, dive deeper into that with some personal exposure. And I may do that, you know, later on. I may do that, just just do a show about my own personal issues. <laughs> That's, yeah, I know y'all probably want to hear that. But anyway. It is what it is. We still pray for his family. We still pray for those who would carry on his uh, well if his ministry has not been dissolved. If, you know, they pulled his books. They pulled his um, radio uh, show and all of that. So it may be fully dissolved, but I'm sure you still be able to access it. But those persons who were mentored by him, those persons who studied his methodology and integrated it into their personal ministry. 
you know, we need to be praying for them because can you imagine the trauma of learning how flawed your mentor, your teacher, all of that is and how it affects you. And you know what? What I'm thinking about, there, there are persons who are trying to do that to, to Jesus of Nazareth. They're, they're trying to um, <laughs> reinvent him uh, and make him as more of a flawed human being using incidents of, you know, like his encounter with the Syrophoenician woman, uh, his encounter uh, with some of the Pharisees and the language that he used that was really harsh towards them. And of course, the all too famous is turning over the tables <laughs> in the temple and taking the time to 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 create a whip so he could do it. I mean he that was that was methodolic <laughs> methodical uh, how do I say that? I don't know. He he took that time to plan out what he was going to do. Um <laughs> and so there's some persons who are trying to portray Jesus and not just Jesus but other biblical uh characters in that same way. Uh this revisionism that's happening to reflect the um I guess the existential crisis the world is experiencing at the moment. So we're trying we've we've seen too many flawed people and we are reimagining all characters that we have created either uh, fictionally or historically. We're trying to, or not trying to, but we are basically unraveling them uh, in a failed moral perspective. (sighs) I don't know. I'm going to stop on that. There's one other thing I wanted to talk about. And that is concerning the Church of God in Christ. If you're not familiar with the Church of God in Christ, that's the largest black Pentecostal denomination here in the States, probably in the world. Um, They are currently in a crisis as they are preparing to elect members to their general board and a new presiding prelate for the denomination. Now, the interesting thing about... uh, the Kojic Church, that's what they go by, the Kojic, Church of God in Christ, Kojic, is that they elect 12 uh, bishops who serve as the general board, uh, general board members, and they function as the governing body. And then they elect one individual from among those 12 to serve as presiding prelate. And and that is not a authoritarian figure per se, um, but as the serving in a sense as the general overseer, the chief apostle, or whatever they, the language they use in that particular denomination. This is the first time that they've had major issues, not only with the election process, but with the um, the process overall. For a large part of their history, most of the men, and I do emphasize men, who were elected to this this position as a general board member, most of them were 
elected mostly because of popularity. You know, it wasn't so much about administration or leadership or oh, it was mostly because of popularity. That's just been the trend. A matter of fact, that in many cases, that's how they became a bishop. <laughs> uh, and there's nothing wrong that the election process has been a part of uh, the church since the inception of the Roman Catholic Church. Been electing bishops, um, and so that that's that's not unusual. What is unusual is that the means and modes of campaigning has shifted, especially in the virtual sense, because they you know usually have that big convocation. I used to love going to the Kojic convocation, and not only uh, looking at the the uh, marvel of the pageantry. <laughs> By pageantry, I mean the way people were dressed. <laughs> You go to the service just to see who's going to have a big hat, who's going to have the tightest dress, and who, what man's going to have what suit, and all of that. You know, that was a big, that was a big show. It was a big fashion show every night of the convocation, and the preaching and good. The midnight musical was always the best. That's what I love to go to when it was in Memphis. Um, and you know, to see how they went about conducting their business was also pretty good too now being Methodist you know we got a crazy process and, and our bishops are elected as others and we're allowed to freely campaign but in the in the Kojic church you weren't you didn't really campaign you know you, you did but you didn't you know it was kind of like people knew you wanted to be on general board and you just let let people know you want to you're running for general board and most times the campaigning was not done until uh the convocation itself you know there was no pre campaign but this kind of shifted as the virtual as all of us went virtual and the, the convocation went virtual and, the, and people began to to actual campaign <laughs> like like a, a you know a secular uh, elected official would do, bothered a lot of people, including the current presiding bishop, Bishop Blake, and uh, the chair of the General Assembly, uh, Bishop Thurman. These two men were so uh, they they had to publicly address this issue. And the integrity of the elections for the general board and presiding bishop. Um, it, it's 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 crazy that this is. And some there were people who were saying that this is going to split the Kojic. This is going to be all that. No, it, it's not going to split the Kojic Church. It's just revealing the reality of the Kojic Church now in the process. And a lot of my friends who are non-nominational, unaffiliated or anything like that. They see the politics of the church and they can't believe it actually happens like that. I said, man, y'all just need to come to an AME or United Methodist General Conference. Then you'll really see politics. You know, we we have legislate a full legislative body. We write legislation. I've written legislation that has gotten into our book of discipline. Uh, you know, I, and I'm talking about legislation. We write a bill. You know, that's how I learned to write write bills for for you know secular government because 
the same method modality was used in our, is used in our church. That's how I learned how to do the advocacy and your lobbying because that same methodology is used in the church. And I am a pastor who was who ran campaigned for a bishop in and the Amy Church and it is a national campaign. You know, it's not a regional. Now the United Methodist state because they elect their jurisdictional bishops regionally. You know, it doesn't take as much. But for for the Amy Church, this is a global church and literally a global campaign because once you're uh, if you're afforded the grace to be elected and consecrated as a bishop in the Amy Church, you're a global bishop, which means you're going to be moved to South. You have you're probably serving South America. You're serving Europe. You're serving Africa before you come to the states, and even after you come to the states. So, I mean, it is what it is. You just got to pray. I I feel I feel the angst of the church seeing all of this play out in the public. Um, and by public, you know, church folk. Church folk don't want to see this. They just want to keep their heads to the sky. They don't want to see what, what, the the fighting, the frivolity of the church. They don't want to see the political side. I say, baby, you gotta, you gotta know the church is political. Even at the local church, it's it's, it's even more political. It's even more political at the local church. So anyway, they uh, they are going to address the issue of their election process, and hopefully, as they reschedule the election for a general board and all of that, hopefully they will have that in place and be prepared to have their elections carried out with integrity. And that's what they want. And that's what I want for them. Anyway, I just thought I would touch on that. I I, I think it's an interesting dilemma that they are experiencing. And hopefully they come out on top. I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back from the break, we're going to talk about the subject of the day. We'll be back right after this. You may find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID Shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield? Yeah, that pretty much covered the plan by itself. For the last 45 years, 
Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. I'm Dr. Lorenzo Neal, and I speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education, leadership, and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look to the connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry. Blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry, I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging, liberating, and transforming. Contact me at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will. Blessings. You're listening to Zira Today with Dr. Lorenzo Neal. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us again. This is your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, and we are glad to be back here. Um, Before I go into the second segment, again, I want to take this opportunity to let you know that this show is being sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community where you can learn just about anything that you want to learn from video editing, podcasting, Writing, like writing personal essays, anything that you want to learn, there are uh, wonderful, noted, and gifted, talented, skilled teachers who can help you uh, learn a new skill. And right now, if you go to the link that's on this show page, you go to that link, not only will you learn and, and be able to sign up for it, but you can have the opportunity to get 40% off an annual membership. And membership is as little as $10 a month. I tell you, it's worth it. Trust me, it is worth it. So go to Skillshare.com and uh, sign up, and you'll be glad that you did. All right. Ah, I had to take a side before I, I got into this one. It has been roughly a year since we have been aware of and been dealing with what we now know as the coronavirus-19 or COVID-19. And last this time last year, uh, we were seeing people being uh, for this. We're seeing people contracting this disease and passing away. We were seeing a, a not just a country in crisis, but a world in crisis as it was declared a global pandemic by the World Health 
organization. And we went through the folly of of the Trump administration trying to downplay the effects that the virus was having. And in hindsight, yes, we could see that this probably was not handled as best as it could have been handled across the board from the federal level to the state level. And we are still seeing uh, the consequences of some of those in a lot of states. But you also have been, may have heard in the last couple of days, my state, Mississippi, and the state of Texas have lifted uh, mass mandates as well as allowed for businesses and um, schools and, well, not schools, but um, mostly businesses and activities to get back to 100% capacity, which is a good thing. It is a good thing. And I, um, let me explain here in Mississippi, um, the entire state has never fully been under a mask mandate because there are some areas in the state that the 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 virus was not as 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 impactful so those states were not under man mask mandates but there were other areas and i i really admired how our governor handled this he did not institute a statewide he went by the the numbers as he was getting and he went by the advice of the state health commissioner uh uh or whatever the authority is, as they provided the numbers, you know, that's how he he was led by the numbers and science, right? That's what they say, <laughs> science. So he followed that, and and as much as he may not have wanted to do it, and as definitely as much as most of us did not want to see it happen, we had the shelter-in-place orders that lasted several weeks, um, I mean, you know, several weeks, and I do mean weeks, where very little to do, and guy like me, you didn't leave the house. You ordered in. You only went out to grocery store if you had to. You had little to no interaction with individuals. Um, it was interesting doing funerals. Uh, you know the funerals that I that I did. Uh, limited persons. The mask. The weddings that I did, you know, it was it just changed the mode of operation. And the biggest thing was not meeting in person for corporate worship. Man, that I think that was the biggest adjustment. Um, not just for me, but for uh, churches across the country that had to find, uh, scramble to find new outlets. And most of us went virtual, you know. I know we at, at New Bethel, we were, you know, we were streaming live every now and then. But it was not me, or we didn't have the material, you know, we didn't have the a set uh, set format. Neither did we have a set individual for media to stream. And, but what would happen is individuals would stream the service or streams part of the services, and would share it with me, and I would probably share it if I could. But for the most part, that's just how it was. Um, and a church like mine, you know, was not built. The, the physical structure was not built to uh, <laughs> to uh, facilitate wireless, you know, Wi-Fi, anything like that. It, it just wasn't doing it. 
you know, we we tried to upgrade our technology so people could at least have Wi-Fi in the sanctuary, you know. But as far as streaming, it it, it just wasn't going to happen at the time. You know, our building just could not do it. One of those old old buildings built back in the day made sure it was built walls. <laughs> but we had to make the adjustment. I was I personally had COVID nineteen and I was I'm just glad the Lord thought it not Robert to let me live a little longer. You know, and I didn't realize how impactful it was on me. I mean I was still trying to function with this and this was prior to it becoming, you know, this was prior to all the health crisis that it was rolling out and, you know, I began to broadcast the death toll daily, the case toll daily, and, you know, boy, and I, I think that to anxiety, every day you knew you were going to get two things, you knew you were going to get the weather report, and you knew you were going to get the COVID report how many cases and how many deaths and oftentimes they would switch between which one they led with sometimes they would leave with the weatherman giving you the news of what the weather was going to be like to make you feel good and other times they would just be outright and go hey we start off with the, the COVID numbers for the state so many contracted cases today reported and so many deaths and they were reporting the deaths the way they reflect the deaths made it seem as if a deadly disease. I, I'm, I'm serious. It made it seem like you were, once you contracted it, you were going to die. When it turns out there was roughly a 98 efficacy rate, you know, efficacy is probably not the best word, but there was a 98 survival rate, you know, so. 98% of the people who contracted it were going to survive it, and uh, roughly 80 to 85% of those persons who contracted it were asymptomatic, which means they had no symptoms whatsoever. And then there were those, like myself, who had the severe respiratory issues, and, you know, where it was hurting just to breathe sometimes. That that's difficult, and some you know only the symptoms only lasted a few days, some couple of weeks, and there are those who are still suffering the lingering effects of it. Um, and then of course there are those who succumb to it, uh, both old and young, and that's the unexplainable thing, and I think that's the thing most of us was asking. God, the question, how is this that someone as young as four years old can contract it and pass away? Someone as old as 90 years old can contract it and survive. Or someone with uh, pre-existing conditions can contract it and survive. And another person with similar pre-existing conditions can contract it and succumb to it. And that was these questions that we were asking. And we were wrestling with it, and it it shifted not only our perception of of sickness, 
because for a lot of people, if they had a cough, uh, that that brought in his eye. Do I have this virus? You know, it, it was crazy. Not only did it shift our percep- our perception of sickness, it shifted our perception and our behavior in our interpersonal relationships. We were we saw across the we saw across the um the the country people people's interpersonal interactions got so tense people were killing each other or and fighting each other because they were not social distancing we saw a lot of people um just really antagonizing others by either not wearing a mask or confronting those persons who were not wearing a mask. Within the church community, we saw some people trying to uh, be clout getters by, you know, still holding in-person services, even after being warned by law enforcement and having persons who were in those services uh, contract COVID. So it shifted all of that. And I believe it is continually it's continuing to uh affect us, not just effect, but affect us emotionally and cognitively behave I say emotionally because we are living in a world now that even with the vaccinations, and I'm going to talk about that a little second, uh, in a second, even with the vaccinations, we are still having this sense of the unknown, you know, the unexpected. Who was, who's going to pass from this? You know, um, and do we really have adequate treatment? You know, that whole debacle about a certain form of treatment that former President Trump was advocating for that, uh, of course, just because he advocated for the other side had to be antagonistic towards it, you know. And later to discover, hey, it actually worked. And self-medication, and for me, for the most part, as I was experiencing this, I was self-medication. I only had prescription medicine to deal with my respiratory issues because I had, I have had a history of uh, upper respiratory infections, pneumonia, bronchitis. I've had it. And, you know, I still had prescription medicine I could get a refill for, which was wonderful to be able to do so. Uh, I'm I'm glad that I I still had had access to that, which greatly helped me. Plus, I drank a whole lot of hot toddies. (laughs) I learned how to perfect the hot toddy. My Lord, but um, um, it still had me reeling after that experience, you know, uh, and understanding what I had experienced, and to know that that some people did not make it through the experience, man, that that impacted me psychologically. I had an anxiety attack that made me feel like I was about to leave this world. Last year, and, and I had never experienced that, you know. And I came 
out of that experience wondering, like, am am I intact? You know, is it all up there anymore? <laughs> and as I reflect on it, you know, I was like, man, I didn't realize how overwhelmed I had become. I had been affected by that experience of that sickness. And to know that I had loved ones who succumbed from this. I had acquaintances who succumbed from this. Man, that was, uh, again, that was an emotional impact. Now, behaviorally, it changed. You know, I was one of those ones that I didn't, I didn't like standing directly behind people anyway in line. You know, if I didn't have to, I, I, well, I always kept a safe distance. I wouldn't get right up on you. I'm always going to be, you know, a few feet behind you. I didn't realize I was, you know, already doing like the six feet thing when you actually, but I, you know, when I started going into the stores and they were saying this is six feet apart and I was like, man, I've been doing that already. Um, So I began to make sure that people Behind me and Family Dollar understood, hey, stand six feet behind me. And also with the mask, you know, I, I jokingly would, too, because I live in the hood. And sometimes we black folks just don't want to follow the rules. And I was, I'd be like going to the store. I said, I'd be like, I'd go to the store and see some of the uh, workers there half wearing a mask. I'm like, uh, do you mind? Just, just put it on. Just you know, I, I don't know if I have it. You don't know if you have it. Let's just, just play safe. And it would be funny sometimes the interactions, but uh, I never got into eye rolls. But then to see on the you know YouTube and all these other uh, places where the interactions between in in the on the same issue will become confrontational. I just that to see people change. That way, normal acting people, you know, who usually would not be as agitable. I just made that word up, y'all. <laughs> uh, as as uh, agitated and confrontational were becoming that way. And um, the way we thought about systems... Um, you know, we had the height of the Black Lives Matter movement happening during the pandemic, the height of it, you know, after George Floyd and several others. We see we saw the people getting out in the streets unmasked, unmasked also for the for, for most of them. They, you know, if they did have a mask on, it was, you know, like I said, they, they needed to have it low enough where they could they could yell and scream. <laughs> I'm just being funny. I'm being generally say, general. But to to see those people, you know, hundreds and sometimes thousands of people marching in the streets, unconcerned about the virus at that moment. And as far as I know, uh, there was no significant spike. I have not done the research to see that. Now I'm quite sure it is there, but I have not. I have not done the research to see whether that was an actual spike as a result of those marches and protests, those riotings. I so but in the moment in those moments the thinking was um one of distrust of systems, 
and the rhetoric and narrative began to to go towards African Americans, black folk. We need y'all to get tested because it's affecting y'all disproportionately. And we all knew why. It's because we didn't trust the system. <laughs> we all we don't go to the hospital if we don't have to, especially black men, which led to us succumbing or if we did not succumb, um, not getting the proper treatment for the virus if we had it. And I'm, I can put myself in that category. I did not go to the doctor, even after being advised to go to the doctor, because what I was experiencing was lingering, and it was very much noticeable. You know, and I was not, you know, I was doing the, the dap and the elbow because I was like, you know, I got germs. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't the Rona then. It wasn't coronavirus. That's how Cardi B said it. It wasn't that. It, you know, this was as it was rolling out, but we didn't have a full awareness of what it was. I just knew that I was sick, you know, and the sickness was lasting longer than two weeks. And I was not doing what I should have been doing. I was still trying to run, being forced to rest. I'd just take a couple of days to rest, you know, drink my hot toddies, my tea and all of that stuff. And take my medicine and get right back. If I felt a halfway good, get right back up. And that's how most black men were and are. And so we did not go. And so that's how we disappropriate, you know, that's how we were disappropriately impacted by it. Because we don't trust the system. We, we, right now we're, we're still fighting for Healthcare equity, and I, I I don't like using that word, but when it comes to black folk, we already know the healthcare system is disfavorable towards us. You know, for a number of reasons, we have that distrust, and the the virus negatively impacted our computer our communities. That you know, we we as we now rethink how the systems are working antagonistically towards us. We must now see how can we build a system within our own self, with our own community. How can we build a system that would integrate but not fully integrate all the stuff? How can we work, build one that works for us and the efficacy would be valuable, not just for us regarding research and further uh, engagement of how health is impacted by stuff like this. But other things too, other people. And then, you know, it shifted how we how we are as a church. I believe this is the biggest thing, and for me, I already know that the people who were coming to the church in person, they were coming more out of duty and obligation. A lot of them were coming out of duty and obligation, and not so much as to you know worship the Lord and spirit and truth and all that. Now they did that, but they. You know, most of us were brought up. You got to go to church on Sunday if you're in the church. If anything bad, you better go to church. Anything good, you better go to church. Uh, And everything in between, go to church. Taking away that component of our life shifted our thinking as far as to do we really need to be in church? Do the preacher really need to preach for an hour? Do the choir need to sing five songs? (laughs) You know, most worship experiences 
virtuous experiences have been condensed to at least an hour. And there are some that go a little longer than that, but for the most part, people realize they ain't going to be watching us for a whole two, three hours. And so we've had to make that adjustment. And as we get back in person, you know, I, I know our church will not be in person anytime soon. But, you know, maybe towards the summer, midsummer, early early fall, we may be able to get back into corporate worship together. That would be wonderful if we are able to do so. But I already know what I've been doing for this last year, I'm going to have to continue. So if the service has only been an hour virtually, man, it might just be an hour <laughs> in person. <laughs> Well, you know, that's some of the things that we'll just have to address and be ready. And as far and the same thing is with our mission work and outreach. You know, this this pandemic, this virus has shown to us how feeble we really are and how feeble sometimes the resources we have are uh, have access to. Uh, that we must as as black folk in particular and urban communities must be more valiant in trying to ascertain those resources, get the people we need in the right positions we need to ensure that we can have what we need. Anyway, that was my last little ramble. I've run out of time. I do hope that you guys um, – Continue to listen and continue to support. If you have not done so, uh, I invite you to become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal and donate whatever you can to help us go and grow. And we need to upgrade some things, and we need to do it soon. Um, also, follow us on all the social media. Um, look up on my website, lorenzotneal.com. You can listen to uh, some of the archive shows. Uh, go to the Zero Network on Facebook and listen to the shows there that are archives. Also, you can follow this podcast, all all podcasts, including iHeart, uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wherever uh, you can access a podcast, you can access the Zero Today Show, and we appreciate you so much. Um, those who are in Lent, I mean, who are observing Lent, we do wish you well as you continue to do so, that it would work for you. And that you will come out more empowered over the days leading up to Good Friday and the Resurrection Celebration. But having said all that, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We appreciate you. You guys have a wonderful day. Dr. Neal is out. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.